to Romans chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 15 through 23. This week, a newswoman said this. She said, I know the truth. If you do good, you will feel good. It's the most selfish thing you can do. Right now, this country wants to heal. And I think the only thing comforting in the face of tragedy like this is to do something good with it, if you can. Be part of that wave. The wave she is referring to is something called 26 Acts of Kindness. I'm pretty sure you're familiar with that. This newswoman challenged all, America, all Americans to join this wave, to do something kind to other people in light of what happened in Newtown. And so all around our country over the past few weeks, the past few days, people have been showing acts of kindness to other people. And when you think about it, our Father showed an act of kindness a long, long time ago, in the face of tragedy. To the praise of his own glory, he sent his own son in the incarnation to be born of the Virgin Mary for the purpose of dying as a substitute for our sins, sins of his enemies. You see, Jesus, as I said last week, came to undo what Adam's rebellion and disobedience did to those who descended from him. A Christ's obedience, many we made righteous. Remember, that is justification. Justified by God's grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ, who God put forth to satisfy his wrath by his blood to be received by faith. And what did I call that? Bling, bling from the Father, right? Gift from the Father. But is that it? Is there more? Should I just stop there? No, there's more. You see, those who have been justified by his grace as a gift have a new status, a new identity. Everything about you is different from what it used to be. Everything is new. You belong to God. His treasured possession. He who has justified you now is in the work of sanctifying you, changing you, enabling you more and more to die unto sin, to live to righteousness. And so that means we don't just receive kindness, we extend kindness. In reality, we are Christ's representatives to the world around us. And that is a privilege. That, I think, is bling bling from the Father as well. Sanctification. So if you have your Bible, open it to Romans 6, beginning in verse first, beginning in verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under the law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you are committed. 
and have been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time from those things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin, have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Please pray with me. Father, as we come to your word, I pray that your spirit will move. This is just not man's opinion. This is just not the opinion of your people. But it is the very, very word of God. Unlike any other book in all the world, this is your word, your standard. So, Lord, I pray that your spirit will be the one to come in and apply it to our hearts, to our marriages, to every area of our life, Lord. That he has to do it. I can't do it, Lord. The preacher is just a man in need of the same grace that he preaches about. I can't do it. I can't do it to my own heart. I, too, need the spirit to move in my own heart today. And I pray for all this in your son's name. Amen. Here in Romans 6, Paul is is going to flesh out for us what is actually new about you as a believer. Someone who has been justified by God's grace as a gift. What does that look like? What does that mean? What is new is that God is now at work in your life, in your family. In every area of your life, he is now at work. And that's basically what sanctification is about. And Paul shows us this through one long illustration. The first thing he wants us to see is that those who have been justified by God's grace as a gift, you have a new master. You have a new master. The question that Paul asks here in 15 is similar to the one he asked back in verse 1. He says in verse 1, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And in verse 2 it says, are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? His answer to this, by no means. That's how you need to, that's how I need to say that. That's the force that he has with that. By no means. Perish such a thought. God forbids that those who have been justified by grace as a gift should now have such a faulty conclusion. Because if that's the conclusion that you have, then you really have some misunderstanding, according to Paul. As one Christian said, this is, this is Paul's blunt rejection. It's impossible for believers to think this way. Being justified by grace through faith in Christ does not produce a so what attitude towards sin. What do you mean, Pastor? It does not lead believers to say things like, well, I'm prideful and self-righteous, so what? 
It's not that big a deal. Yeah, I cheat on my spouse now and then. So what? I have anger problems. So what? I lust. So what? I do think I'm better than other people. So what? I'm materialistic. So what? I'm worldly. So what? I lie. I cheat. I steal. So what? I'm under grace, not the law. Stop judging me. Stop judging me. Here's Paul's question to you. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? Either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. With this question, Paul wants you to understand that a, that a slave can only have one master, not two. Either a slave of sin, which means sin it owns you, you are its possession, it's your master, or persons of slave or obedience to God, meaning God owns you. You are his possession. And that leads to righteousness. And righteousness here is not talking about the righteousness you get when you come to faith in Christ, but it's righteousness in its most general sense. It's you striving to live a godly life before the Father because of who you already are in him. It's your life being bent more Godward, not manward. Godward. So the question is, who's your master? Can't have two. But those who have been justified by grace as a gift have a new master. And that means something. And it's no longer sin, but it's God himself. Verse 17. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you have been committed and have been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness, from speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. Paul here is giving credit to your God and my God for what has taken place in your life as a believer. Giving him credit for your deliverance from slavery of sin. If you are a believer this morning, then you have to know you were rescued from bondage. The text says you have been set free. Notice, that's a passive statement, meaning you didn't set yourself free. Someone had to come set you free. That's what Christmas is about. Jesus the incarnation, Christmas, what you're going to celebrate in two days, was Jesus coming on a rescue mission, dropped behind enemy lines, not to save friends, but to save enemies. That's what Christmas is all about. That's what it's about. You have to understand that when you receive him in saving faith, you have been delivered from one master and transferred to another. A good one. A good one. Because listen, a, a, a believer is not autonomous. Like you're not self-governing. You're not a, a master unto yourself. Jesus didn't deliver you from sin to make you your own master. He delivered you to the Lord God himself. Brought you before him. And you now stand before him. And you are now under him. You have become slaves of righteousness. Which means your new master... He's now in the process of shaping you according to how he wants to shape you. 
he's shaping you and growing you in obedience to him. Not just through word, but in, in your heart commitment to him. It's obedience to the standard teaching to which you have been delivered. That is the gospel that saves you also makes demands on your life. But do we believe that? Sometimes we think grace does not mean that makes demands on my life, but it does make demands on your life. I said this a few months ago. We never, never outgrow our need for the gospel. And yet the gospel never, never leaves us where it found us either. It never leaves you where it found you. It changes you. And that is sanctification. That is bling bling, man. <laughs> that it changes me is that work in me. That the Father justified me, but he's also working in my life now. You may be asking yourself, why in the world is Paul using slavery language to talk about us and God? Have you ever read this part of Romans 6 and asked yourself that question? Why such a strong illustration? Why? I mean, in our country, when you start talking about slavery, people start getting defensive and nervous because of our history. Now, why such a strong word picture? He says in verse 19, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations, meaning because of your weakness of flesh. Interesting. Paul uses this illustration because he knows that those who have been justified by God's grace are also prone to forget. Prone to forget. One commentator says we are prone to forget the obligation involved in being under grace. Prone to forget and develop a sober attitude towards sin. It's a lie from the pit of hell to think I could be under God's grace and also not be under obligation to obey him at the same time. At the same time. I belong to him. I'm obligated to him. I'm accountable to him. That all involves being under his grace. That's why Paul uses this language of slave and master. Because he wants us and these believers to know we're under God's grace, but we're also under his authority as well as our Lord. Don't you know? That if you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, either of God or either of sin. As believers, we have a new master. We are under obligation to him. And we are not free to live our life according to where we want to, but according to the way he has spelled out in his holy word. That's how we live. Those who have been justified by grace as a gift are now slaves to their master. Look at verse 19b. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time from those things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin, you have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification, and it's in eternal life. In these verses, Paul is making a contrast between your former well life under your old master and the new well life under your new master. Both masters place this obligation 
on those that are under them. When you were slaves to sin, you lived under obligation to it. You, had, you, you obeyed it without any sense of conviction. And you presented your members to it, your mind, your body, and soul. Everything about you were presented to it and through impurity or lawlessness. When you were in that state, you were free in regards to righteousness. You know what Paul's saying? You weren't righteous when you were in that state, when you didn't know Christ. You may have thought you were righteous. You might have been a good citizen. You might have did all the good things, manly-wise, but the righteousness and burning God's eyes, you were free from righteousness. Free from it. It was your enemy, righteousness was. You simply live according to your enslavement. That's what a slave does. You live according to your enslavement. And here's your question that Paul asked you. What fruit or benefit were produced in you from the things of now that you are ashamed of? Think about your former enslavement to sin. Did it produce any good fruit? Good fruit according to what God thinks is good. No, it did not. It was only a temporary delight. It doesn't, didn't last. For the end of such things is death and consequences. But for those who are saved, those who know Christ, those who have been set free from sin, it's no longer your master. Think about that. You have been set free from it. Have you ever really thought about what that means? To be set free? See, none of us know what it really means to be a slave. That's why we, don't understand, we can't really understand that. Someone who actually was a slave would read that and was like, man. You're now dead to it. It no longer has power and dominion over you. Those who have been justified by God's grace as a gift don't live in unrepentant sin. They don't use their freedom to return to the vomit of their old life. Instead, they live as slaves to their new master, which is Yahweh. 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 Paul gives us an exhortation to now do with your new life what you did with your old life. That is, live according to your enslavement. Live according to the state that you're in. Live accordingly to being who you are in Christ. Strive to be that. Present your new life. Present your members, your body, your soul, and mind as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. That is, you living out your life before God as an instrument of righteousness. He says in verse 22, the fruit you get leads to sanctification. What does that mean? That is fruit that is, that is being produced in you from God. It's not like the fruit you get from your old life, but it's good fruit. It's the Father's work in your life. Him, the work of his free grace, where you are renewed throughout in the image of God. You are enabled more and more to die to sin and to live to righteousness. This is a process. It's a work. They will not be completed in this life. So don't leave here thinking, oh, yeah, I'm going to get there. It ain't going to be completed in this life. But it will be completed. Some of you are probably looking over your life and saying, I don't see much change, Pastor. So am I a, am I a believer? I don't see the, the Father's work of salvation in my life. 
Pastor, am, am I truly saved? All I see is constant struggles with sin, constant falling short. You're asking yourself, when are we going to get to that next level? When? When, am I going, when is my walk going to start looking like my neighbor's walk? When? When am I going to start struggling less? You see, even though you've been set free from sin, sin's role has not been completely destroyed in your life as a believer. You realize that, right? It, just, it simply has a different role. You know what its role is now for you? Whether it's, whether it's unrighteousness or self-righteousness. You know what sin's role is in your life now? You know what it is? It's Jim Crow your spiritual life. You young folks, you don't know what Jim Crow means. But you older, you older folks know exactly what it means. Sin is Jim Crow to your spiritual life, but it will still seek to segregate you from the Father. To obey it. To be bowed down to it. To suppress you. To oppress you. And you guess what? You've got to deal with Jim Crow for the rest of your life. That's what it is. That sin is rolling your life. It might not be your master, but man, it is Jim Crow. You fight it. You engage it every day in your walk. Paul says, when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Jim Crow. For the rest of our life. The good news is that Sanctification is, is a work of God's free grace, which means he gives you freedom to struggle with sin. Now, not to live in it, but to repentantly struggle with it. Embrace the struggle. I did that a long time ago. I gave up a long time ago this idea that I'm going to reach a new level of Christianity where I struggled less. That one day I was going to wake up and I didn't have certain struggles anymore. I died to that lie a long time ago. You know what? I have more joy because of it. I have more joy because of it. And you will too. The work of the Father will enable you to live a godly life as well. Remember that the 26 acts of kindness, I talked about them again in the sermon. As a believer, extending kindness should be part of the life that you live. Not because the news woman encourages you to do it, but because of what the Father has already done for you in Christ. That's why we do it. We don't do 26 acts of kindness. The life that we live is one of kindness. And we extend kindness to anyone that we come in contact with because of what Jesus has done for us. You have to realize you are Christ's representative here. What does that mean? It means when people say things like, where was God when something happens? only thing I see is, where was the church when it happened? Because where God's church is, he is there. Where his people is, he is there. And so, this idea that we can expect things that don't claim to know Jesus to go out and do things in the name of Jesus ain't going to happen. You want to see the Father at work? Then get out and show up. Because he works through his bride through his people. If, he, if we ain't going to do it, we, when we pass on, he raise up people who will do it. But he will work through his people. We 
are Christ's ambassadors. We are Christ's representatives. No one else in all the world can be that but the church. It's a huge calling, I know, and sometimes even a huge burden. But no one can rep Christ but his church. No one. Remember, everything about you is new. Your life, your values, your priorities, your passions, what you, your, your life you live is all new and it's all good stuff. All of it has been sanctified to look more like Christ. And if you're feeling a little discouraged or even a little beat up, then guess what? He who began a good work in you would do what? Carry it on to the day of Christ Jesus. Your sanctification is 100% guaranteed. It's, it's, I mean, it's not out there in limbo. Like it's not going to happen. It may be a struggle for you, but it's going to happen. Because the word says it will. And again, that's more bling bling, people. Don't leave here feeling beat up. Leave here excited. That the Father that work in your life. And when you hear a sermon like this, the obvious question is, how? How can all this take place? How can I repentantly struggle with sin? How can I live a life of extending kindness to others? How can these things happen? You see, those who have been justified by grace as a gift, you have an ace in the hole when it comes to living for God. You know that? You have an ace in the hole. The sad thing is that many of us don't even realize it. Nor do we rarely rely on it. Who is your ace in the hole? I'm going to read it. Romans 7, beginning in verse 4. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that you may bear fruit from God. For while you were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law having died to that which held us captive. So we serve, not under the written code, but in new life of the Spirit. As one Christian hip-hop artist says in his, one of his songs, the Spirit is essential to sanctification. He is your ace in the hole. Rely on him. Pray to him. Don't forget him. Because you can't do it without him. Let us pray. Father, I thank you that we as believers don't live this life in our own strength, but we do have a power from on high. That he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. And that is your spirit. That same spirit that came in Acts 2, Lord. That same spirit that poured out on the apostles, Lord, lives in each one of us who are Christians. And we think sometimes that's a light thing. But it's not. It's power, Lord. We need to be more sensitive to that power. He's the one that gives us boldness. He's the one that gives us what we need to step out and to live the life we live before you. So, Lord, I pray that you make us more sensitive to him, to his work in our hearts. And as we go out this holiday season, Lord, watch over us, sustain us, and help us to remember, Lord, now, Christmas ain't all about what we sometimes make it out to be. But, Lord, in that, in that manger, Lord, was our lamb, our substitutional lamb who came 
to die for the sins that we now struggle with. And praise be to God that you chose to show that one act of kindness for your enemies. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.